Welcome to the HJ Talks About Abuse podcast, the podcast where we talk about sexual abuse cases in the hope that it will assist listeners in openly discussing topics which have been ignored for too long. This podcast is brought to you by the abuse team at Hugh James. We are lawyers, so we tend to speak about the legal aspects of abuse cases, but we aren't too shy to speak up about the broader issues faced by survivors of sexual abuse too. We hope that you find it interesting, but more than that, if you are a survivor of sexual abuse, we hope that you find our discussion empowering. Hello, podcast listeners. My name is Alan Collins. I'm the head of the abuse team at Hugh James, and I'm joined by my colleague, Danielle Vincent. Hi, Danny. Hi, Alan. And it gives me great pleasure to introduce our guest podcaster, Holly Perot. Hi, Holly. Hi. Thank you for joining us. And wow, Holly, I think you're going to be talking to us about quite a few things, but maybe it'll be a good place to tell us what you're doing now. And uh, you're in Northern Ireland and you're trying to do something for adult survivors. Mm -hmm. So perhaps give us a little bit of a intro as to what you're trying to do in Ulster for adult survivors of abuse. Yeah, sure. Thank you. So I've been here two and a half years. My accent probably gives it away that I'm actually from the United States. I grew up in Washington State, and I am a survi- adult survivor of childhood sexual abuse. I was abused between the ages of three and 11. And at 14, I was able to put my abuser in prison. And then I went on and lived what I would consider a pretty successful life. I have two grown children. I was married for 23 years. And at age 40, all those wounds from that childhood abuse started catching up with me, and I was able to put myself into a treatment program, which was great for 30 days for trauma. So why I started with that, telling you about that, is it has led me up to where I am today. Okay. So I think you've become an ambassador for NASCA. Is that right? Yes. So NASCA NASCA is what, exactly? National Alliance of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse, based out of the States. Right. Okay. So, and you are trying to apply what they do in the States to uh, Northern Ireland? Well, a couple things. Actually, so what they have is a support program. It's a website you can go out and get resources all across the board, whether that you're looking for support meetings if you're a survivor of all childhood abuse, or if you just need resources, maybe you don't know. It's the first time you've even looked at how do I recover from this or who do I tell? You can go out to the site and get resources. They also have a radio program that they do radio broadcasts, I think six or seven days a week now, where they interview survivors from all over. So what my role or any ambassador role is just if anyone has, they just don't know where to start. It's the first place someone can call to get resources. So it's signposts. So, it, you know, it, yeah. So you get signposted. You get signposted. Yeah. And so one of the things I'm trying to do, so that's just a piece of my work. I'm actually finalizing my dissertation right now, my degree at Ulster University. And what my goal is to really bring new and flexible programs, survivor recovery programs to Northern Ireland and hopefully the UK in general. But I'm really trying to focus on Northern Ireland right now. Stopping you there, because it just occurred to me, of course, Danny, with you are doing a lot of work with Northern Ireland survivors with the Northern Ireland Redress Scheme. And I, I ask a question of both of you, how that 
possibly fits in with what you're talking about, Holly? I actually don't know that much about that. I will have Danny maybe articulate it to me and say, I don't think I know much about that right now. From listening to what you're saying, I think it's going to be really, really helpful to a number of survivors because, you know, these are individuals that are in their 40s, 50s, 60s, because the scheme's been opened for anyone that's been in abuse from the 40s up to the 90s. So, you know, it'll be really good to signpost people that they can, you know, get help in the Northern Ireland, because I think that's one of the things they're struggling with is where to reach out for support. Yeah, right now there's a nexus is one of the only places you can go to, which is a charity that supports sexual abuse survivors. And they have a very long waiting list. I think it's it's over a thousand people, which is painful (laughs) to to think about that and incomprehensible. So so the goal is for me is to be able to bring my experience from personally, my personal lived experience going through a trauma program, what we call an intensive trauma program that brings a lot of modalities to it. And hopefully bringing that for yet another choice and another option for those survivors, because every survivor is going to have a different choice that they may want to make on how they get recovery. The the other thing, Danielle, I'd mentioned for those particular, well, it's for anybody who's a survivor, but something that's recently been started. We started a meeting in Northern Ireland, and there's a couple that are now also in London, which is an ASK a meeting, Adult Survivor of Child Abuse. And for those of you who are familiar with the 12-step program, it's a similar program, but it's specifically for those who have been abused in childhood. And we started our program in December and it's going very well. I would say on this side of the pond because it's been going in the United States for over 20 years. Okay. So is that one-to-one or is it group work? Peer-to-peer support meeting. So it's just co-facilitated. So particularly for the one in Belfast, myself and another survivor co-facilitate. And all that means is keeping the safety for the meeting. So we're all survivors and it's an open meeting for people to go and just basically hear from other survivors. Any of the evidence you read about survivor recovery, one of the top five things I would say I've read is having that peer-to-peer support. Well, that's interesting because quite often survivors say to me, I thought it was only me. Exactly. And I thought I'm the only one that feels a certain way or experiences this in my relationship. And when you go to those meetings, you're finding no, it's it's similar. It's very yeah. common. And then the other unique piece of that meeting is it has a feedback component, which a typical 12-step meeting may not, where you can actually get support after you've maybe shared something. There's a time to get support. And that's very unique to this particular structure in this meeting. Okay. And if I may ask, as regards your own personal journey, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Did the program that you go through empower you? What did it actually deliver? It changed my life, that's for sure. Well, one, it informed me of, you know, I I was starting to behave in ways, you know, struggling with my job a little bit, struggling to stay focused. I had what I would consider. So I didn't have the common, what you may see where you say someone really needs help, you know, or I didn't feel I wasn't depressed. I was sleeping fine. I had a, what I would call, I was a workaholic for sure, working 60, 70 hours a week, staying busy, 
I had a little bit of a shopping, <laughs> what I would consider a self a shopping addiction. So just it was showing up in different ways. And during the breakdown of my marriage, I had a therapist say, you know, that stuff's going to just continue because you haven't worked on your childhood trauma that's causing those wounds. So I was fortunate enough to be able to put myself into this program. And what I learned there is I was, for me, I was carrying guilt, not about that I was sexually abused. My guilt was because when I was abused, I didn't say anything for about three years after it stopped. And in that process, he had abused two other little kids. Right. Yeah. I was carrying a lot of guilt. So what I learned in that program, probably the biggest thing, and is that I was a kid. I was a child. And, you know, I was just telling someone recently, I still think of myself as a an adult who testified against him in court, but I was a I was a child. And really being able to take 30 days to understand what that meant. You should have been protected and you weren't. And so this is why maybe some ways you're behaving is because you're looking for protection or or I'm overprotecting others. So that was a big piece was just to understand where it was coming from. I I always thought I liked myself, but I really learned to love myself and how to give self-care. So for example, if I feel like I want to go shopping, what are some other things maybe I could do, you know, and halt, which is, are you hungry, angry, lonely, or tired? I love that to check it yeah. out before you actually do something. Things That's quite an important discipline, isn't it? Some years ago, I did a foundation course in therapy because I thought, well, I need to know some more about all of this and um, maybe I can learn something. Yeah. And did I learn a lot? And um, you learn a lot about yourself as well as um, dealing with other people in, you know, these sorts of situations. You know, you think you know it all and you suddenly realize you don't know a thing. And uh, yeah, it was one of the one of the messages is if, if you don't start to take care for yourself, how can you care for others and expect mm-hmm. others to care for you? So there's mm-hmm. there's a lot in that, I think. Yeah. And in that program, you're going through it. You know, I was with 75 other people that would come and go, right, in a time frame. And so you also have, it goes back to that support, that peer-to-peer support. You have a love around you and surrounding you that for 30 days, very intensive 30 days, right? So Sounds intense. I believe everybody, no phone, no computer. And my mantra is everybody should get 30 days into a program to focus on themselves. It's a beautiful thing. Gosh. Holly, one of the things I wanted to ask you is that we obviously have a lot of clients that are similar to you that bring claims much later in life when they can, you know, face what's happened to them. And you had a successful career, family life, and then had therapy later. What Mm -hmm. would you say to any listeners that, you know, haven't had therapy and maybe are worried about opening, I guess, that box of the memories, you know, the benefits that you saw from actually entering therapy at a later point in life? Yeah, it's a great question. Well, first, I'm going to say it it hurts like hell. I'm not going to sugarcoat that piece. But I think, you know, the example I gave where from the outside and frankly, even looking at my own life, I thought things were pretty good. Right. I thought I got this. I won. I beat him. <laughs> that's that. That's why I really pushed back from going to therapy is I did not want to give my abuser the power. I always felt it was handing him power. And in, in reality, I got to take my power back by going to therapy late in life and learning behavior things. So I would say that even though 
they may not feel, you know, they're not feeling depressed or sad or there's, it's not obvious what they're feeling. It shows up. It's very difficult for someone, I think, to escape any wounds not showing up. And it could be how you communicate in your relationships, which was definitely an, an issue for me, which was not fair to my spouse, you know, feeling all the different things that happen show up in so many different ways. And by going and opening those wounds now, it can, this is just my opinion, it can only really enhance or improve, you know, the years in the future. But it's hard and it's very, very important to have a support system. I think if you don't have a support system, it would be very difficult. But yeah, I, I'm a proponent for it. And, you know, also if there's people who have not said a word about their trauma or their abuse, you know, I'd hope people would take it from me that if no matter how old you are, how long it's been, it's still important to say something because that perpetrator, if they're still alive, they could still be abusing. Couple of questions here. That's very interesting. Number one is lots of survivors, victims will think, I don't have a support system. They might have a support system, but not be aware of it. And, that, and there will, of course, be those who don't have a support system. So how can they go about trying to find a support system? Yeah, it's a great question. So first and foremost, I think find, you know, I mentioned the ASCA group or finding mm, a, yeah. there are several, ASCA is a great start just if they just don't know where else to go. If they've never told a person, there's several helplines that someone can call that very first time and tell a safe person. If it's just, I just need to tell them safe and I don't feel there's anyone around me. Definitely one of the helplines. Northern Ireland has the domestic and sexual abuse helpline and they do take calls from people who are just disclosing for the first time. Then another option is a therapist or a trauma-informed coach. And I think being able to find someone like that that can help you you know, just start to figure out, okay, what's next? Get grounded and then what's next? So those are the three pieces, I would say, where to start. Danny will put some contact details on the notes of the go on the um, website that accompany the podcast. So if anyone's listening and thinking about that. The second question I have is your abuser. So did he serve jail time? Yes, he did. He went to prison for indecent liberties, which in the States is, you know, fondling. I don't know the equivalent in the UK, but it's definitely not what he should have been sent for, which was child abuse. And not only did I testify against him, his sister had testified that he had abused her all through adolescence. So this was a perpetrator that had been severe perpetrator. He went for indecent liberties because they didn't want to as a 14-year-old, they did not want his attorney to question me for, I don't know, someone else made that decision for me. What's happened, though, since then, and literally I just found this out this past Sunday, so this is pretty new information for me as well, is he got out pretty quickly, and unfortunately, he moved back in with the other two children where he re-abused one of them as well as three other kids. Mm-hmm. And that's the piece I just found out about. So he did go back to prison after that again, but whew, really frustrating. And and then even to make it worse is several years, well, not as many years as it should have been, but years after Washington State actually has a piece of legislation that protects people who go to jail who are innocently accused and who might end up on a sexual predator list 
but they're innocent. That piece of legislation invited my abuser off the sexual predator list for what I would say, you know, what they consider good behavior. So it's, it's a, yes, he went to prison, but it's, uh, you know, I, I, tragic ongoing story by the same tragic, tragic. And a slap in what I would say the 14 year old, you know, little girl that testified against him, a slap in the face and some betrayal for sure. It's, it's part of the thing I want to do here is really put some of my energy and effort into campaigning and lobbying and telling my story. Why it's important to tell my story is so people understand those who have some control of making these decisions around the justice system that this is what happens. And it's usually the victims that are left out. They go to prison for a short time. We go to prison forever. That's how I kind of look at it. So with that insight, why is it that survivors and victims should come forward and speak out knowing that it can be very difficult and justice may remain elusive? Yeah. Well, I can only speak for myself that if you don't speak out, you know, he definitely stopped abusing for a time period. He stopped abusing those two littles that I didn't even know were, you know, as a kid, didn't know they were being abused. So if we continue to hold those sec- their secrets, perpetrators will always continue to get away with it. And yeah. we keep stepping up and saying, we are not going to take it anymore. We're putting you all on notice. I don't know that I'll ever see it in my lifetime, but my you know, hope is the more survivors that are brave, and it takes a lot of courage. I get it. It takes a lot of courage to step up and say, this is not going to happen anymore in my watch. Maybe at some point it'll become recognized as the pandemic that it is. Well, on that sobering note, thank (laughs) you very much, Holly. I say sobering, but it's also inspirational, isn't it? Because you are here telling your story and you're trying to bring about change. So out of, you know, what has happened, and I can't find the right words to do it justice, you know, the tragedy of what happened. You have found the strength to come out of it on the right side, and you are doing something which is great, which is trying to make the world a better place and to try and make life better for survivors and make and give courage to those who are scared to come forward for whatever reason. Yeah, thank you for saying that. And I guess one thing I would say is, you know, I agree, I've been given a, I call it my resilience chip that I think I've probably had since I was little, but I but I do believe that the reason I was probably able to go so long, even without therapy, is when I did sit, you know, testify against him. I, I think so the other you asked me why should people do it? There is some ability to take your power back when you can you can testify and say this happened to me. Yes. It's empowering. It's, it's all very well for me to sit here on my chair and, you know, spouting about this, that and the other. But from what people tell me who've been through the experience, it's about, you know, they, they are empowered for once in their lives. They're taking control of what happened to them and yeah. they're not doing their abuser's bidding by staying silent or carrying the abuser's secrets. They are actually empowering themselves to turn things around. That must be important. Yes, I would say it is based on my own experience. Right. Thank you very much once again, Holly. Thank you very much, podcast listeners. I hope you found this podcast of interest and if not only of interest, but also of comfort and support. So thank you very much for listening and please do tune in 
next week to our next podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of HJ Talks About Abuse. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. If you'd like to speak to us about something you've heard today, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at aboutabuse at hjtalks.co.uk.